Well, you can talk about film. Gotta be quicker than this. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal, but for once in your life... Be real! Welcome one and all to Be Real Guys. This is a mini episode where myself, Chance Solon Pfeiffer, and my good buddy, Noah Ballard. That's me! <laughs> we'll be discussing uh, one of the most acclaimed films of 2016. Probably the most acclaimed at this point, right? As of mid-November? Uh, yeah, I think so. Universal praise. Uh, well, for... I want to get no, into that, too. I want to okay. get into that, too. Because I feel like on a critical level, this movie's been pretty appraised. But then, like, weirdly, people I've talked to have been pretty mixed on this movie. Interesting. So. We're talking about Moonlight, the uh, the new Barry Jenkins film based on a play by Terrell McCraney. Uh, it is the story of, it's a coming of age story told in three parts about a, a boy named uh, Chiron. It starts on the Liberty City blocks of Miami in the 1980s, kind of the height of the drug war. Uh, then it jumps ahead from age maybe eight to maybe 16 to maybe 28, something like that. I don't think it's, it's not made quite clear. Uh, but it's a coming-of-age story of this uh, young black man, and he's throughout uh, questioning his sexuality and uh, kind of like what sexuality means for him in a world where uh, a certain kind of masculinity is definitely praised. Yeah, I think the better word is is masculinity. He's just like yeah. trying to figure out because I think it's it's people have quickly sort of gotten to this question of like whether or not this is like like a movie about being gay and -hmm. I don't necessarily think it is after thinking about it in depth for a few days now I think it's more of a movie about figuring out one's masculinity and that just happens to be like a detail that he's dealing with Hmm. in my opinion okay uh well we'll get into all that um unless that's where you want to start I don't know if that's quite where we should start no we should probably wait a, a little bit for that um okay but yeah I mean that's basically the setup for it um and what you have is a pretty, I mean, it's pretty short. Yeah, I think it's maybe an hour 40, something like that. And, and Oh, it's the well, pi- then, it's, no, it's not. I take it yeah. back. It, 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 feels feels qu- sh- it, it feels quick, because it's only like it, three chapters. Right. Um, and it's the people coming in and out of his life. His mother, played by uh, Naomi Harris, is uh, gradually more and more addicted to crack in the first episode. Um, he kind of comes under the tutelage of this neighborhood uh, drug dealer played by Mahershala Ali and and his girlfriend Teresa played by Janelle Monet. Um, but when the when the when the eight to ten years go by, you know things can get to kind of turn on their head. Right. There's a lot of negative space in this movie. This one time, I'll run by this old. Old lady, I was running, hollering, cutting a food, boy. This old lady, she stopped me. She said, Running around, catching a boy that light. In moonlight, black boys look blue. You blue. That's why I go call you. Blue. Say your name, Blue. <laughs> nah. 
At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. The protagonist of the film is played by three different actors. Right, right. And they don't, they, apparently when they were shooting, they, they never interacted with one another and never really witnessed the performances of the other. Mm-hmm. And the director, Jenkins, said that was by design, is that they he wanted them all to sort of occupy their own space, which I think is smart. Um, and then I think there's enough movie magic there that I never doubted it. Because you start out with this like very cute little boy. Yeah. Who's called you, Little. Who's called Little, and he's picked on, but then he finds sort of this like somewhat stunning maturity very quickly that you don't realize he has. And then you right. sort of know that he's going to be okay kind of kind of and then you cut to him like as a awkward like lanky teenager yeah and then you cut to um him physically i mean they they um they cast a non-actor to play well all of them i suppose but specifically the last one was like he was a track star and like mm. he has like a very athletic very muscular builds and, like, yeah. he suddenly goes from, like, his clothes never really fit when he's a kid or a teenager. Yeah. But then, like, now that he's under his own control, he very much resembles his father figure from the, uh, from Juan, from the first chapter. Down to the, the fronts on his teeth. If I can jump on the thing that you're talking about, um, the first time I watched this movie, I was like, well, part of the miracle here is that, like, these people look nothing alike. Right. Um, and the second time, I thought they actually did look a little... I've seen it twice. They did look a little bit more alike. Um, but the thing that they have in common uh, in playing Chiron is this sort of forced independence. Independence has clearly been forced on him since age, you know, since he could walk. Right. Um, and that sort of just continues and continues. And the the real him as he becomes more and more capable to stand on his own two feet is kind of driven inward and inward and inward. He says less and less. Right. Well, it's weird because I think this movie says a lot about like code switching, but instead of it being like code switching through, you know, the character interacting with like white society, for example, and then coming back to black society, right. the code switching no is because there are no white people in this movie. The code switching has more to do with like how you're supposed to be perceived by the black community. As and then as a man, and then how you're supposed and how his own masculinity and his sexuality sort of plays into that. Right. So then you get the, so what emerges is this romantic subplot you know, first he's just sort of like hanging out when he's when he's a kid and doesn't really understand what sexuality is. He like has this best friend, and then in the second chapter, uh, the best friend becomes more of a romantic interest. Mm-hmm. And then in the third chapter, he hasn't seen the best friend because of events that have transpired in the second chapter, and they're suddenly reunited. Because it's so interesting to me the parallels between when the two of them are together. And them sort of challenging each other on like a code switching level of mm-hmm. like they posture whenever they're in public of like, oh, I just like I got detention because I had sex with that girl in the hallway. Like this right, like right. this exaggerated hyperbolic male posturing. But then when they're alone in the second chapter on the beach and then when they're in his apartment in the third chapter, um, they speak the way they speak is completely different. They like get rid of this like gross like very like you can see it in their bodies too like their posture changes literally 
like mm-hmm. when they're alone and when they're out in public, even if it is in the context of Definitely. like, even if they're among strangers. And I think the movie is even more aware of that than I thought it was when I first saw it, because the movie opens following Mahershala Ali playing Juan, the, the drug dealer when Sharon is a little kid out of his car and sort of, um, to the corner where his, his lackey is, uh, is dealing just to kind of check up on him. And there's this very uh, dramatic tracking shot that like circles and circles as Juan uh, kind of like turns around and like surveys his whole, his domain basically. Right. Um, and I sort of forgot about that shot the first time I saw the movie and it's so big and loud. Yeah. And then you sort of realize that right off the cuff, this movie is sort of showing you um, the peak energy that like one of these men could have in like this very stylish way. And the way the movie shoots Mahershala Ali um, often from like his very big shoulders. Um, right. Well, it's also, always shooting him up. Yeah, He's yeah. always like a, a, a figure that's supposed to be, you're supposed to be impressed by. You're always looking up to him. Yeah. He's larger than life. And I think, I think that's quite a performance. I think oh, that yeah. might be the best performance of the movie. You'll recognize, or at least I recognized him from House of Cards, but his performance is unrecognizable. Yeah, he plays Remy in House of Cards. Right, um, but it's it's not the same guy. Like, this guy is a chameleon. It's crazy. Like, his uh, voice is even lower, like, and, like, sounds different. Yeah. You know, and the way he, yeah. I really love that character, um, too, in the ways that he's almost... Like a Michael K. Williams character. Sure. But like like the Omar, like, man's got to have a code. Now I'm going to explain to you the code. But what feels so beautiful about this character is that he is, in a way, especially around Chiron, embarrassed of the fact that he does this. So he has these moments where he's, like, about to dole out wisdom. He's about to monologue a little bit. And then he, like, suddenly censors himself. And he's this, like, this very powerful man is sort of, like, beautifully kind of embarrassed of of what he does well that's yeah i mean the two interesting interactions that he has and his two like sort of moments of judgment are when he realizes that he's selling crack to uh chiron's mom mom. yeah and then him getting called out on it by chiron who you think you're having like a pretty quintessential like what is being gay mean and then what he's really doing is Chiron is like realizing that he has some agency in this relationship mm-hmm. where his questions and his knowledge and his perception of things, like the fact that he is so observant is a, a power unto itself. Yeah. That's quite, I mean, that's an amazing scene too. That is he an really, incredible scene. He really scene. has four questions that are in sequence, like the death of his childhood. The only thing that I thought was a little, well, I guess like when you talk about a movie like this, yeah. and this is like the negative reviews that I've read of this movie because I tried to read a lot on this movie after I saw it just to see it's like to make sense of it because mm-hmm. it does require like some work on behalf of the audience member i would I would argue mm-hmm. does it transcend the uh deeply political and relevant and contemporary issues that it is grappling with because it takes on a lot of them yeah it takes on sort of the you know relationships between fathers and sons and mothers and sons in this particular community it takes on racism it takes on sort of 
institutional poverty. It takes on the drug war. It takes on, you know, how gay people are viewed in this country and specifically in this context, mm-hmm. you know, it takes on a lot of things. And bullying, bullying too is a huge, I think this is arguably more a movie about bullying than it is about being gay necessarily. Yeah. But I wonder if it, like, my only reservation about this movie is that, is it just, I don't think it is, but could an argument be made, as some critics have, that this is just, like, a hot-button issue movie in the same sort of space as, like, a crash? That's interesting as a criticism levied against it, because I would say what's good about it is that it's not crash. Right. I would say what's good about it is that this is specifically a story about, um, in a, in a sense, like what it means to be black and gay, and yet the story does not need to declare that it is about that. Like one another thing that I I don't want to do is I feel like there's this temptation, like when you're a straight white person talking about it, to be like, this is a wonderful human story, and what I agree with that. But what I'm what I'm mean by that is like it's not my human story. It's, right. it's someone else's story, but like, I w- was very profoundly affected by that, and I don't think the movie went out of its way to kind of like stake ground. And I'm not sure it is ripped from the headlines necessarily, right. is it? See, I think I'm gonna like uh, inevitably land similarly to where you uh, are on evaluating this film, but I think the fact that it is so bold enough to look at these issues that a Honestly, a predominantly white audience going into an indie art house movie theater. Yeah. Like, it's, it does a bold thing to engage with our sort of expectations for it. But yeah, I yeah. think it's bold enough to, like, not really give a fuck about making a movie for white people. Absolutely. Well, there's and no, again, no white people in there's the movie. There's no, and there's I no think. There's no sort of, like, uh, like, white person leads you into a story not about white people. But I think what it's trying to say, like, and this is coming off the heels, too, of I'm reading uh, The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, which just won the National Book Award, and Chance and I got to hear Colson Whitehead speak uh, recently, which is great. Um, But it's sort of like that same criticism of, like, why did you now choose to write about The Underground Railroad? Like, isn't there something more relevant to this time you could write about. It's like, no, to see these parallels and to sort of bring this story forward does more good for the conversation than to sort of make some very accessible, very, you know, very white piece of art. And I think that, I mean, the brilliance of both, I think because they think they're weirdly in conversation too, these two art forms, um, is that like, let's just tell the story of this guy Mm-hmm. based on guys that you don't necessarily have any interest in seeing or have indicated that you're not interested in seeing a story about. Right. And I'm going to still, it's still going to be a good fucking movie. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, then it's, it's you, the, the satisfaction for me was at least doubled in the fact of like, wow, I just saw a compelling character sketch. But at the same time, it's like, I was also forced to grapple with some pretty urgent things that maybe like, I don't fundamentally understand as much as I like support a progressive position on. Right. Well said urgent. And also like, again, quiet. What I love about this movie is that, um, the definition of sexuality, his sexuality is so private 
for him. Now it's right. been forced privacy, um, probably unfortunately for like his well being and his happiness. Um, but you get to the end of this movie, and it's just like, wow, I bet sexuality is like that for a lot of people, but why would it ever be shown on screen if it's not like milk or something like that? Like a civil rights right. person in the gay community. Or that by. horrible uh, Stonewall movie that Roland Emmerich did. Right. Um, yeah, it's not celebrating like a social movement. It's just picking apart a construct that potentially already exists within this community. And it does it, frankly, in an entertaining and compelling way. Yeah. And in fact, people that a person who has been left behind by social movements. Right. Or exists completely outside of them. Well, I was saying he's been left behind from these social movements because these movements don't even realize people like him exist. Totally. I think it's interesting you brought up the Whitehead novel because much of what has been made of that novel and what seems so sort of um, freeing from the sort of weight of history about it is like the the imagination, the fiction, the the magical, a little bit of magical realism in there. Um and what I love about the first time I saw this movie, I was very focused on. I loved the way the camera sort of went to the places where Chiron is uh, when he's little, bathtubs and front seats, and the dance studio at school. And it doesn't always quite know where to look for him. It right. kind of makes you feel how small he is in the world, and then it finds him. But the visual flexibility of this movie is impressive because not only do you have that, you have these sort of um metaphorical and dream sequences these sort of like right. repeating dream sequences for him and then you have a lot of shots that are very much like Chiron is the subject and he's seeing the world from his eyes like there's a lot of variance in the camera work in this movie which makes it kind of i think levels it up from a movie like Medicine for Melancholy which is Barry Jenkins's other movie and a lot of sort of i think when people go in to think i'm going to see an indie movie where uh, you know someone is trying to navigate their very nitty-gritty world. I don't think you're expecting uh, that level of vision. The visuals are not only like stunningly beautiful, they're also like weirdly like dirty. Like they're not super cl- like they're, they're they're not perfect. Right. You know, nothing about this movie is it's an imperfect movie mm-hmm. and but it finds something in that imperfection. Like the scene where uh, Juan is bathing here, teaching him how to swim, that very sort of like uh, baptismal scene was apparently shot without a script because they saw the storm coming in and they're like, don't even worry about hitting the lines. Don't worry about hitting the lines. Just do this. And it was literally just the two actors teaching each or one actor teaching another how to swim. It was an adult teaching a child how to swim. And that's why you feel that honesty. And I love that shot too. I think my favorite shot in the movie, which so much reminded me of that shot in Taxi Driver. You've seen Taxi Driver, right? Mm -hmm. That shot where Travis Bickle is calling up the uh, what's her name from the campaign headquarters. And it's like so awkward to watch him make that phone call that the camera pans down the hallway just to get away from him yeah well there's the shot in the diner where he goes to put in uh the money in the jukebox and the camera just sort of like slowly like doesn't even want to look at him doesn't even want to like come to what this moment's gonna be it just sort of very slowly goes around the diner (laughs) and then lands on him with this face that you just like weren't expecting and i think that 
if I have any reservations about this movie, and I liked it more the second time, um, it was just that sometimes I felt when the axe turned over that the characters didn't get their due. Like, I really wanted more Juan. Um, and I didn't think Teresa really got her due in the movie because she kind of disappears. She's sort of just like someone who offers him a bed. Um, but right. then you, I think you kind of have to make that compromise with it because the movie is so autobiographical for Terrell McCraney that I think if you want the originality the and the, like the specifics and the not uh, Hollywood tropes trotted out, I think right. you kind of you have to take the big... The big curtain falls where they are. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it 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 feels like it's an it's like sort of this organism of a movie. You know, the important beats of this movie don't include a funeral. Right. You know, the important beats of this movie do not include a trial or like seeing the inside of a prison. The or important going beats, to juvie for the first time. Yeah, or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. The movie endeavors, and that's what I think the boldness of this movie is, is that endeavors to show us a side of, you know, this sort of person that we have not seen in movies or television before. Uh, so shall we turn around to ratings here? I would love that. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good good is easy, things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again, like watching The Departed, or Jaws, or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say, Love that. Bad bad is easy too, things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good Bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good Bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say... I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation... Honey? Kids? And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, But it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. I think there's no question this movie is a first good. Um, it is both real and beautiful. I think the acting from Mahershala Ali and Andre Holland hits some incredible notes of, as you said, originality, but then like some real... I don't know. It, yeah, the, the performances, they manage to be beautiful people at the same time as they are um, very bound to earth. Um, and I actually think it does have rewatch value. I was, and it's because it is not, uh, and Ed, it's not it's not Ed Zwick making this movie. Um, and I think there is some really incredible detail as well, um, whether it's yeah. him taking the bath with dish soap or the food montage, or the way, uh, like, the wine is treated by Kevin in the third act, but Chiron has, like, no idea what to do with it, so he just drinks right. it all in one glass. Um, I think there is enough for it to stay illuminating on rewatch. I mean, you have to be in a mood, but 
I'm going to call it good, good. And it's one of the best movies I've seen this year. Yeah, I'm going to have to get on that that same page, too. I mean, my initial, like, I went into thinking it would be, like, a good, bad movie. Like, I right. would come out a better person. And I feel like I have. Um, but I, like, I wasn't ever, I wasn't ever, like, horrified by it. Like, it's a very generous movie. It's not a movie that's going to make you feel, like, gross. Generous is a great word because you come out with questions about the world. You don't come out having been told something. Right. It's not preachy. And, like, there's very little dialogue in it. Right. And you're mostly just seeing, like, this guy go from A to B and then the decision-making he comes to and, like, what led to these interesting moments in his life and what is ultimately a love story. Yeah. So I, I'm going to have to say, and it wasn't boring either. Like it's lively. The camera work is lively. The acting is superb. Um, and there is a, there is a bit of action in there. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'm going to have to get on your page and say, it's not only a well-crafted film, but also one that, yeah, I, I definitely want to see it again. Yeah. Well, friend, pal, thanks for doing this with me. Thank you for uh, doing this with me. And thank you, listener, for hanging with us on this mini episode. Uh, we got a special treat coming up over Thanksgiving weekend. I mean, uh, a treat for us, not necessarily for you. <laughs> You're going to hate it. We're going to love it. Um, but thanks for listening. Find all episodes at BeRealGuys.com. Follow us on Twitter at BeRealGuys. Real as you know by now, if you've made it this far into the episode. It's spelled with two E's, like a film reel. And uh, you can find the podcast on what's hosted on SoundCloud. Find it on iTunes. That's a popular one. But Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play Music, wherever you get your podcasts, we should be there. Thank you, as always. Go see this movie in your town. It's uh, getting very gradually sort of released around independent theaters. So It seems to be doing well, too, per theater. Yeah. I mean, A24 puts out so much good stuff, and I think it's close to the $10 million mark. So let's, uh, let's do it. Noah? Sir? Thanks, buddy. It's always a pleasure to both talk to you about movies and to see your face. And yours. See you later. <laughs>